Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We start with the Mike McCarthy hire with the most valuable and popular franchise in North American sports today, Jerry Jones gets his man. He's the former Packers head coach who won a Super Bowl with Aaron Rodgers. One word, just one word to grade that higher on 105.3 The Fan. A poll asked this morning and Cowboys Nation said, meh, M-E-H, meh. They don't think this is a very hot chick, Ross Tucker. How would you grade the hiring of Mike McCarthy. Do you agree with the word meh? No, I don't think so. It's interesting, isn't it, Dave? This is part of the society that we live in, which is that if they had hired Lincoln Riley or Urban Meyer, maybe even Matt Rule, I don't know, but someone who had never been an NFL head coach before, I feel like they would have gotten more credit. I feel like when you are a former NFL head coach and you've at some point been fired, which, by the way, happens to all of them except for Bill Belichick, except he was already fired. (laughs) So they all get fired at some point. And guess what Patriots fans probably said when the Patriots hired Bill Belichick? Meh. Yeah, I remember when he was with the Browns, went to the playoffs one time in three years. Yeah, that's just the way we are. So maybe it's not something, Dave, that talks about society now. Maybe it's just the way it's always been. To me, he's better than meh, right? I mean, if we're talking about ladies and, you know, let's pretend we're at a, uh, a, a contest, Miss America, if you will, and you're holding up. A sign of one, two, three, four, five, whatever, all the way up to 10. He's somewhere between a seven and an eight for me. I think he's attractive. I don't think he's a 10. Um, If he was a 10, they would have gone to more than one. First of all, if we're being honest, right? If he was a 10, Dave, he would never have been fired from Green Bay, right? I mean, if he was a 10, he'd still be in Green Bay. So he's not a 10. He's not even a nine. I'm, I'm fluctuating between a seven or an eight. Can I hold up a seven and a half? Are you allowed to do that? Can you hold up a seven yeah. and a half? By the <laughs> I way, Dave, I, by the way, Dave, I got to tell you something real quick. Okay. Yeah. 2002. No, this is actually 2003, but after the 2002 season, I started the last seven games for the Cowboys. The Super Bowl was in San Diego. San Diego. And it was the Bucks and the Raiders. And myself and a couple other Cowboys offensive linemen, we rented a beach house for a week. So we're all 23 and in the NFL. And, you know, hey, let's go to the Super Bowl for a week. Let's go have fun. So we got a house right on the beach in San Diego, right where University of San Diego was. 
And I don't know whose idea it was. It might have been mine. We got cards, like big oh uh, cards, like pieces of paper. And we wrote one through ten on those cards, Dave. <laughs> and as 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 people, young ladies would walk by on the boardwalk deal, we would raise up the signs. And, um, you know, it was amazing for the attractive girls because they, they loved it. And although, like, it's funny because even, like, the hot girls, if we gave them, like, a seven or an eight, they're still not happy with that. No. They're still, like, they're still in their head. They're like, why the hell am I not a nine or a ten? Now, there were a couple tens, and they thought it was funny, and they loved it. The seven or the eights, a couple of them gave us some <laughs> questions and they wanted to know how they they could become nines or tens. But um, I don't know a nice way to say this, but there were some that were lower than a seven or an eight. And I don't really feel real good about myself for participating in that part of it. Imagine <laughs> that you're just a young lady walking down the boardwalk. Um, having, having, you know, minding your own business, trying to get some gosh darn uh, exercise, and you walk by four NFL players, or just to, in your mind, four huge dudes that hold up threes. <laughs> okay. I distinct, I distinctly remember one of the guys saying. You know we're all going to hell, right? <laughs> you are. <laughs> it you was are. bad. <laughs> it was bad. I mean, it was it was bad. I feel bad. Um, you do dumb things when it's a Tuesday afternoon and you're in San Diego and you're a little bored and it's one o'clock and I don't know. I mean, it was it honestly was a great conversation starter. With the eight, nines, and tens. Like, they thought, oh, these guys are hilarious that they're doing this. And, and or they were like, nine, huh? So, like, all right. And if you're a nine, you're hot as hell. So, if you're a nine, you're like, what do I need to do to be a ten? I'm a nine. Like, they're confident. Like, the nines were confident. But, <laughs> Dave, I, I, it hurts my soul now. It hurts my heart to think about <laughs> Some of the the twos and threes that walked by and looked over and saw us holding a two or a three and then kept walking. Um, I I feel bad and I think I should. (laughs) You should absolutely feel terrible about that. I am thrilled that you were able to share that story with us. We'll return to Mike McCarthy shortly. A lot of questions. Uh, it is a Me Too Tuesday here on Home and Home. Thank, uh, sponsored by Ross Tucker's uh, charades with the Dallas Cowboys. So what was the lowest score you handed out? And what was the worst reaction you received? Did you get any fuck yous in return? 
there, I don't remember. I mean, this is what 18 years ago now at this point, <laughs> 17 years ago. So yeah, I, I yeah. can't tell you exactly. There may have been some zeros given out. I don't oh, think geez. so. I think it was probably twos and threes. Oh. Um, the the thing is, is like I'm about to get sad because the twos, <laughs> the, the twos and threes, their reaction hurts because they don't get mad or angry. They just kind of put their head down and get sad <laughs> oh, and keep walking. Oh. <laughs> that was the worst reaction. It would have been better if they had like a, a strong, confident personality and they were like, you guys are pieces of shit. This is <laughs> bullshit. You're pathetic. I can't believe you're like, we got a couple of those. And that was actually okay because we're like, yeah, you're probably right. This is stupid. Yeah. and But you like that because at least you know that that person has something to them and some confidence and they'll like fire back at you. The ones that just kind of put their head down and kept walking, oh. that's the worst reaction. That That's Bro. that's when we – that's when I think we were like – after the second one of those, we were like, yeah – we should probably stop this. We really should Listen. have just done it. We really should have just done it for the ones that were like sevens and above and gotten their reaction. You know what I mean? Uh, so anyway, to bring it back, we'll bring Tyson Walter on at some point. Okay. But to bring Good. it back for Mike McCarthy, Dave, I feel like I want to put a seven and a half up. And if I had to lean seven or eight, I would go eight. And And here's why. The guys won a Super Bowl. Like, that's the goal, right? And he's already shown he can do it. And he actually did it with a wild card team, which is pretty impressive. They had to win three playoff games, uh, including two on the road, I think. Actually, all three on the road. So that's pretty impressive. So if you start with that, how many guys were available that had won Super Bowls? Anybody other than Mike McCarthy? Was there anybody else available in wanting this job or even a convert? Like, not Josh McDaniels, not Ron Rivera. So I'm going to give him an eight. I mean, you start with that. You also start with the fact that he has more playoff wins since he got the job with the Packers in 06, 05 actually, but 06 is the first mm -hmm. year. Made since 06 is his first year. He has more playoff wins and anybody since 2006 other than Bill Belichick. I mean, that, that, those are pretty good places to start. So I think it's an eight. I think Cowboys fans saying, meh, what I would say to you is who wouldn't have been a meh? Who would have been better than a meh? Is it meh or it's meh? Who would have been better than meh? meh? I, I think McCarthy's an eight. I think he's a solid eight. Now he's not a 10, Dave. I mean, he went to one Super Bowl in 13 years with a top five quarterback the entire time. Six and seven, uh, and I think eight, no, six and seven. He had Favre, maybe eight he had Favre. Then he went to Aaron Rodgers. I mean, he had a top five quarterback and only ever went to one Super Bowl and I think only like three conference championship games. That's not a great look for him. He finished 
seven and nine and then four, seven and one before getting fired. So I think those are negatives, but I'll, I'll go back to the positive side. His GM, Ted Thompson, never got any free agents, never got anybody because the negative would be, well, look, they're 13 and three without him this year. But you could also look at that and say, yeah, they went out and got guys like Zadarius Smith and Preston Smith who are kicking some serious ass on the defense. So that, I think, kind of offsets itself. He is hard-nosed. I do think he'll command the respect of the team. I actually would have loved him in Cleveland because I think he's exactly what they needed. I thought either Mike McCarthy or Ron Rivera were perfect in Cleveland. They got neither. So I'll say an eight. I'll give it an eight. How about you? I, I hear you. I hear Cowboys Nation with the word meh. I see, uh, you know, Stephen A. Smith, and I, I see a lot of national commentators getting on the hot take train and ripping this hiring. Rex Ryan said it was a terrible hire yesterday as well. When I first heard the name emerging weeks ago as a head coach, I was probably meh or worse. I was probably at a six. And then I decided to do some work on this and not just have my initial reaction be a word or a a guttural feeling, but look up some data, look up some information. I highly recommend before anyone judges Mike McCarthy, they read Peter King's extensive profile on him from several months ago, earlier this season, and watch the interview that he had with Mike McCarthy or Tom Pelissaro, who also had a sit-down interview with McCarthy during this season, a year he's called his gap year. That took me from a six to a nine to where I am right now this morning, a perfect 10. And let me explain why. You, You have to grade on what's out there. You can't grade on your dream candidate. You can't have Bill Belichick be a 10. Because Bill Belichick's not out there. So of the coaches that are out there today, I have to say Mike McCarthy is a 10. And here's why. If you listen to what he's saying about his experience in Green Bay, he had a chance to reflect on it and didn't just go about his business for this gap year, what he called a gift. He spent time grinding with former coaches in a barn at his home hours after hours after hours, studying game tape from his time at Green Bay, studying video from Joe Montana, from Aaron Rodgers. He broke down every offensive snap of the top 10 offenses a season ago with his group of former coaches who spent time with him at the barn. Every offensive snap. He wants to hire a 12, no, 14-person technology department at his next stop, so we presume that is what he got assured from Jerry Jones. Eight of those 14 people are in analytics. One more thing to pile on top of my perfect 10. This is Andy Reid, essentially. All coaches, to your point, Ross Tucker, have an experience where they get fired. All of us in real life get fired and you can do one thing or another with it. You can sit back and reflect and learn from it or just dive right into your next opportunity without really giving it some reflection and thought. Mike McCarthy took the other road. I think everything he learned from that experience in this off year is going to make him an even better coach than he was then. And his all time win percentage, by the way, not just the Super Bowl, not just the 10 postseason wins is 618. You know who else's win percentage is 618? Andy Reid. 
No one's calling Andy Reid a bad coach right now. They're calling him a freaking genius who's going to win a Super Bowl. So too is Mike McCarthy. We've waited now too long to get to our radio.com red zone and some local reaction on the hire to Mike McCarthy. Let's listen in on 105.3 The Fan in Dallas, always available on the radio.com app. What are they saying in Dallas about this hire? Feels like you guys aren't that pumped. It feels like it's a Jason Garrett comparison. And after having about 12 more hours plus to digest whatever the time lapse was, I, I do feel better about it. Uh, Autoflix season fan text 877-881-1053. Man, this is as polarizing as I've seen. McCarthy hiring has me re-energized. You got a Super Bowl winning coach, very good at his job. Uh, let's see. So Dak's just going to go with the plays Rodgers thought were stupid. That's my fear. He doesn't challenge the coach. Mm. Uh, let's see. They jumped the gun. Should have interviewed every single person available. I saw Mac Angle of the Fort Worth Star-Telegram, a former broadcast colleague of ours here at The Fan. He wrote on Facebook, the Cowboys hire of Mike McCarthy is a good, safe move, but it's basically a Jason Garrett, but with Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> Okay, does the new coach get your approval? After the Bears lost and said that I'd pack all my Cowboys stuff away, that I wasn't watching any more games, and I stuck to that, I'm so excited I can actually watch a game next season. Nice. You know, it's, it's not a sexy hire. It's not a, it's not a fun hire. But if he can make Cheeseburger Eddie be a good running back and turn or help Aaron Rodgers become what he is, I'm excited to see what he can do for this offense. My take on this is you had Brett Favre and Mike McCarthy uh, in that era, that, that, that scheme, all of that worked. And through three or four years, Baron Rodgers had worked, but then the league caught up with him. And now he's saying, oh, now I'm going to start doing this analytic stuff. Now I'm going to pay attention. But I, I think when the heat's on, he's going to revert back to just like Jason Garrett, what he knows and what he thinks. All right, that's the radio.com Red Zone fires up with 105.3 The Fan in Dallas. Disagree with the callers. This is nothing like Jason Garrett. What track record does Jason Garrett have? How many Super Bowls has he won? Look, there's only six head coaches in the game today that have won Super Bowls and only two that have won multiple Super Bowls, and you're not getting Bill Belichick, and you're not getting Mike Tomlin. So you want a guy with a ring. Do you want Lincoln Riley to come to town showing you that he doesn't know how to build a defense, showing that he can't compete in the biggest games? Same goes for Matt Rule. What did he just do uh, in, in the big-time spotlight? So, look, this is the best available coach out there, Ross. I don't think you can do better than a guy with a Super Bowl ring who's learned from his mistakes, who is willing to embrace analytics, who acknowledges his offense got stale, and to your point, 13, 18, and one in the last two years. We're all certain Jerry Jones led with that. What did you learn from 13, 18, and one in your last two years? And how do we avoid that? And from what I've seen in all the interviews with Mike McCarthy, check out the one with Peter King. He has learned everything from his mistakes. What NFL team will take a major franchise-changing risk on the young quarterback who's having hip surgery will not be able to perform or work out ahead of the NFL draft, but made his decision clear yesterday along with head coach Nick Saban. Let's talk about it with our friend Pete Thamel from Yahoo Sports. 
been a while, my friend. It's Dave Briggs. It's Ross Tucker. Before we get into Tua, though, we were just having a discussion about overtime rules in the NFL versus college football. Who do you think has it right? I think college has it better. I don't know if anybody has it right necessarily, because I think in college you get some, you get like a manufactured jolt of entertainment. If like the Troy Eastern Michigan game is going into overtime in, I'm going to go watch because it's just like, it's like a shootout in hockey, but like a little bit more like football. Right. So like, there's like an immediacy of like, Oh my God, I'm going to tune in. Even if I don't care about the teams or like the teams, because it's just like microwaved entertainment, but also done fairly. Um, I do. Uh, I, I don't love like the the way some of these NFL like kickoff hold the ball games, and I do think that is like slightly unfair. I would like to see some moderate tweaks in the NFL. What about like giving each team the ball in the forty, maybe like something like something in the in the middle a little bit. I I just feel like for the NFL to do that institutionally, there's so much arrogance and ego and reluctance to change that I don't think they would think of something more that would actually be more fun and compelling to the viewers and maybe even more fair to the players. Because like I heard you guys talking about going for two, maybe it limits some snaps a little bit. Um, you know, these, these guys are playing 20 games with four preseason, right? So like, you don't want to, you don't want to just send them out there, uh, send them out there forever. So I like the, the modification the colleges did this year um, to avoid the seven, eight overtime games. I think that's good for player safety, but uh, yeah. But who doesn't like overtime? Um, I don't love the current NFL overtime format, but I still do love overtime. And I agree. I, I prefer college. I, I think college is awesome. It's easy to understand. The NFL, yeah. if you need to, like, every time the NFL is like, okay, here's the rules again, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. It just, I, I don't care for it. Pete, I also haven't cared, before we get to the Tua, while we're kind of on this topic of rules and stuff, we talk so often about officiating in the NFL, and yet multiple times in this postseason for college football, I've been very disappointed. I could not believe that they overturned the Jeffrey Okuda fumble against Clemson. I thought it was a clear fumble. He had three steps, almost a four step. Couldn't believe that they overturned that. And I'm not remembering the exact play, Pete, but there was something in Wisconsin, Oregon that bothered me too. Uh, you probably remember what it was, but there was some Wisconsin, Oregon um, penalty or something, something, some officiating issue that bothered me as well. Has there been a similar uproar in college that there has been in the NFL? And do you think that there would be any tweaks and do you think it's a problem? Well, uh, I can certainly speak with authority on the uh, on the Ohio State play, the Jeffrey Kuda strip of Justin Ross that led to the Jordan Fuller touchdown return that was then overturned. And look, I'm I'm always really pragmatic and very reasonable when it comes to officiating. Uh, former soccer referee myself, so I've stood in between the lines and have a, have a little bit of an understanding of just hey, it's hard, it's hard live. The the thing I can't wrap my mind around on the Akuda strip is how it was overturned. Like, if they had just called it dead on the field, okay, like, I could, you know, all right, I get it. Like, but if you if you overturn that and there's, uh, what's the what's the phrase? The It's not preponderance of evidence. It's uh, conclusive evidence, right? You have to have irrefutable evidence 
there's no way there was irrefutable evidence to flip that call. Like, I thought it was a coin flip call at best. Gun to my head, I would have said fumble and, and return. And I thought the refs did a good job of letting it play out on the field and kind of letting replay decide. So I don't know if there's any kind of drumbeat. Officiating in college is a little screwy because there's obviously a national officiating association, but then, like, the officiating is divvied up amongst the leagues. And some leagues have had different replays than other leagues and different things like that. So the, the officiating isn't as, isn't as linear in the NFL where it's all under, uh, where it's all under one umbrella. Um, but yeah, there was even some calls last night. I'm sure you were both watching the lending tree bowl in Mobile, Alabama last night. Between, uh, I, I can tell, I can tell there was yeah. actually like a, a really bad, uh, overturned fumble call on that too. And look, nothing's perfect. Even with replay, it's not perfect. I did think, I don't think officiating cost Ohio state that game because they had plenty of other opportunities to win it, but I could understand why Gene Smith texted me after the game that he was pissed and why Ryan day was said he was angry. Um, because that's that's that is a game changing kind of play that uh, you know that really that really really hurt the Buckeyes. Let's talk about the big story in college football, which of course is Tua Tagovailoa deciding to go into the NFL draft, not back to Alabama. Clearly making the right decision. My fear was that he would go back to Alabama. It felt like a guy who had unfinished business in college. The best part of his announcement, though was quoting Tim McGraw's song, Always Stay Humble and Kind. I love that. That made my day. Anyone who quotes country music in any sports announcement wins in my book, Pete. I don't know what country artist you might quote. If you have one, let me know. But did he make the right call? Uh, I'm probably not your best source for country music quotes, but I will okay. say that he, he made the uh, he made the absolute right call. Uh, I, look, we all would have been petrified every time Tua dropped back if he did come back next year. And I do think when the when the no one's really going to know where he's going to get picked until these doctor's appointments come through, right? But the hip the the problem with Tua's injury was like he had a hip injury and everyone assumed it was Bo Jackson, and it wasn't Bo Jackson. And they were very clear in saying that it wasn't Bo Jackson after it happened. But that's where people's minds immediately went, right? So if Tua come, if Tua has a dislocation of a hip, and that dislocation of a hip can be can bring him back to 100% or close to 100%, and he can move and throw and dance around in the pocket like he has, he needs to go to the NFL draft. Um, the the only if he had not declared for the NFL draft, I would have been in favor of him just working out for the year. I think that's smarter because look, you hate to say this because he's a brilliant player, but Tua is fragile. He's had two ankle surgeries. Now he's had a major hip surgery. His body, he has a nice build, but when NFL general managers look at quarterbacks, they want a thickness that Tua doesn't have. They want a trunk. They want a back. He just doesn't have that kind of body type. So he already, regardless of anything else, has a reputation for fragility. Fair or not, that is a huge question about Tua. Probably the biggest question about him, um, other than him being left-handed, going into the uh, going into the draft. So I feel like you don't want to give people any more reason to think you may be fragile. Um, the, the next few months are going to be really interesting for him. The, the combine is going to be important for him because he's going to be medically checked. But talking to NFL sources yesterday, the little-known combine recheck is actually going to be what's really important for Tua. All the combine participants who have lingering medical issues 
are come back to Indianapolis in April. It's not a formal thing. There's no media there. Um, or there may be this year. Uh, and, and you just go back and get reevaluated. By mid-February, late February, when the combine happens, we're probably not going to have a clear picture of Tua's future. We may get a portrait of how he's recovering, but the, he said a three, four-month window in, until they can really know. By early April at the combine recheck, we should have a pretty good sense of where Tua is. And I think if he is healthy and cleared, and again, those are all very nebulous terms. What do those really mean, right? Um Basically, if a team feels he's healthy or is cleared, he'll go in the top 10. Antonio Brown, maybe he should jump on ZipRecruiter. Guy clearly needs a job. Put out an album or at least a, a solo, a single. It was called Whole Lot of Money. It was god awful. I am no rap critic, but it was absolute utter garbage. Clearly, he doesn't have a whole lot of money, but needs a whole lot of money if, in fact, he is jumping into the ring with YouTube star Logan Paul. If you don't know, Logan Paul became famous on Vine, those short videos he put out there, a really a prankster, an internet prankster, if you will, then turned to YouTube where he has 20 million subscribers, makes millions of dollars on childish and sometimes idiotic and sometimes offensive pranks, but the guy is, above all, entertaining. Logan Paul has also turned to fighting, fight another YouTube star, KSI, and now is turning to MMA in 2020. But Antonio Brown, yes, the former Steelers and Patriots and Raiders wide receiver, challenged Logan Paul on Twitter. And the greatest comeback I have ever seen from Logan Paul, who is clearly a, a bright man, says... I'll drop you faster than the Patriots. That is an outstanding comeback to Antonio Brown. I'm not sure who wins this fight, but this is one I'd like to see, Ross. And you? Yeah, I mean, why not? I mean, I, I in general, like fights. I, in general, like watching people go after each other. Um, I think it's entertaining. Why not? Um, and uh, honestly... With Antonio Brown and some of the things that he's been accused of and some of the things that we know he's done, I wouldn't mind seeing him get punched in the face a few times. I'm not talking about like a serious injury, but I wouldn't mind seeing Antonio Brown take some shots to the face or the body. Heck yeah, why not? I would love to see Antonio Brown take a beating. I'm not sure that's what would happen here. Logan Paul is jacked. I mean, he is a big-ass strong dude and has some fighting experience, but Antonio Brown is a professional athlete. I think the speed of Antonio Brown, and regardless of whether or not he's crazy at the moment, he is clearly still working out hardcore. I think he would probably tear up Logan Paul pretty well, but Logan would get in some good punches, and I would really appreciate Antonio taking a few to the face. The question being off of that is, what other professional athlete do you think needs to have a butt kicking? Who would you like to see have the crap kicked out of them in professional sports today? A couple of guys came to mind to me. And I, I like watching this guy play, but being a Bronco fan my whole life, bleed orange and blue, the smack talk 
of Philip Rivers, the Chargers quarterback. Not sure where he'll be next season. Philip Rivers would be great in a celebrity boxing match because he definitely needs to be punched in the face one, two, three, four, eight or ten times. Philip Rivers has it coming. All that shit talking throughout his entire career that may earn him a spot in Canton, he still deserves an ass whoop. And the other one is also a quarterback not currently employed. Yeah, you guessed it, Colin Kaepernick. I was okay with the kneeling, quite frankly, because I know that a Green Beret is the one that inspired that. I know that it wasn't against the troops or against our country. It was just misunderstood. And I can even put up with the masquerading that he wants to be back in the NFL because I don't think he does. And the sham of a workout down in Atlanta that he had to move away from NFL grounds and waivers. But what he did this week makes me think Colin Kaepernick needs to have a swift ass kicking. He tweeted about the U.S., President Trump, the Pentagon, taking out a prominent Iranian general which I assume you all know about, has a lot of people feeling like we are edge, edging towards a war with Iran. We're not going to talk politics too much, but Kaepernick tweeted, there is nothing new about American terrorist attacks against black and brown people for the expansion of American imperialism. Do your freaking homework, Colin Kaepernick. Terrorism is what this Iranian general specializes in, trying to kill American troops. Now I'm not sure whose freaking side Colin Kaepernick is on because he's certainly on the wrong side of this argument. I'm not saying President Trump did the wrong or the right thing, but you better be clear about whose side you're on because this Iranian general has long had the goals at spreading terrorism. So there's my two. I'd like to have their ass kicked. Who you got, Ross? Well, so first of all, any guy that ever had any sort of domestic abuse that's been proven, like Greg Hardy, I really do tune in to when Greg Hardy fights every once in a while, hoping he gets his ass kicked, just <laughs> right. because I think he is a piece of crap. So anybody like that. I'm also good with getting a, a good butt whooping of any cheater. You know, like I wouldn't mind seeing Lance Armstrong. And I know there's a lot of positives there. And he raised a lot of money for cancer research, which is amazing. But to be such a blatant cheater and a blatant liar, I don't know. I'd kind of like to see him get punched in the face a few times for that. You know, I think that's probably well-deserved. But my number one guy, and it's very specific, Dave, who I would want to be doing the butt kicking. My number one guy who I'd kind of like to see get punched in the face is Bill Belichick. And I'm going to be specific here, Dave. <laughs> I want it to be the Patriots beat writers. I want the Patriots beat writers. I forget the movie where the guy came out, at, the, the guy had to fight 10 guys in one day. It's Lewis Gossett Jr., James Woods is in the movie. It's a great movie. And like the whole premise is he's got to be able to beat 10 guys in the ring in one day. I would like to see similar, except it's Bill Belichick 
going against Penn, uh, New England Patriots beat writers because I don't care for his condescending and what I think is unprofessional and disrespectful answers and conduct in those press conferences. I don't think it needs to be that way. I don't think he needs to try to make people feel bad. I don't care for it. I think it's the antithesis of what a professional coach should be in an entertainment vehicle like the NFL. And I kind of like to see Tommy Curran and Mike Reese <laughs> and Karen Garigian and Albert Breer and all of them. I kind of like to see them. Mike Giardi, I kind of like to see them get some punches in on Belichick. How much do you think they would love that? The chance to punch him in the nose. I He would be my number one. Belichick getting punched by the Patriots beat writers. Every round, a different beat writer gets a chance to go after Bill in the ring. Oh, yeah, I would love this. This would be outstanding, especially if you throw in some old school. Maybe Bob Ryan, Dan Shaughnessy. Not columnists, not beat writers that have to deal with it every day, but guys we're very familiar with that have had to deal with Bill a lot. Love Tommy, love Reese. These guys I worked with up in Boston, don't know if they'd have much of a shot in the ring. Now, Giardi, Mike Giardi, I think that would balance the scales. I think he would kick Bill Belichick's ass. But the other ones, I don't know. I, I sense Bill Belichick probably could throw a pretty mean right. I'm not sure how many of those beat writers would come out of the ring without being the bloodied one, with the notable exception of Mike Giardi. Yeah, so that would be, that would be my vote. Uh, I just think, but that's specific. I, like like, I don't want to just see Belichick beat up. I want to see the Patriots beat writers Get to beat them. It's interesting, Dave, because I put a tweet. By the way, the name of that movie, uh, according to sub-millennial Jordan, I forget what he's called, but he's younger than the millennials, so I'm going to call him sub-millennial. It's better Z. than whatever generation he really is. Z? Z. Yeah, he's he's sub-millennial yeah. for me. Yeah, I'm not going like to remember that. that. Um, <laughs> the name of that movie is Digstown. Um, I don't know if you're, you ever seen Oh, it's a great no. movie. Great movie. I really like that movie. So anyway, here's what I tweeted, Dave. Which current sports figure would you most like to see get the crap beat out of them like Logan Paul would do to AB? We'll be discussing your responses on RDC Home and Home, home, and, home and on demand, radio.com slash home on the radio.com app. And a guy who I'm not familiar with named... Steven Ruiz, who uh, works for the win, um, said, uh, this is a very cool and definitely not unhinged segment to do. <laughs> um, and then you look and see uh, people saying to me, Kaepernick, Clowney, an Eagles fan said Clowney, this guy said, uh, good job thinking this through, Ross. Um, so anyway, there's been some other negative feedback that they feel like this is an un inappropriate um, this is an inappropriate segment to do or inappropriate conversation. I don't know. I'm, I'm just telling you the responses. So um, people did not like it. I, I guess they feel <laughs> like it is promoting um, 
violence on people, which they think is uh, inappropriate. I don't know. Maybe we can have them on. Maybe we can discuss it. Give me a break, people. I mean, we're talking about violent professional sports. We embrace all that. If we were talking about, if we were making light of domestic violence, if we were suggesting a man and a woman at the ring at the same time, this is utter nonsense that there's any negative feedback to the suggestion that we'd like to see certain professional athletes take a beating. I love it. I embrace it. You're all wrong, but I appreciate the feedback. What is the point of the Rooney rule in the NFL trying to encourage the hiring of minority coaches? It is an absolute joke. It is a mockery right now. Let's talk about that with Adam Kilgore from the Washington Post who wrote about this in the Post. Adam, good to have you on the program. It's Dave Briggs and it's Ross Tucker. Um, This process that we've seen play out with now three head coaching hires in the NFL and specifically the Dallas Cowboys interviewing Marvin Lewis, are they making a mockery of the Rooney rule? Well, that's hard to answer because I think you have to know the intent and what's inside, you know, Jerry Jones's and Dave Tepper's and and all their, you know, hearts and minds. And, you know, when they go to interview uh, Marvin Lewis or Eric Bieniemy who interviewed in Carolina, um, you know, I, I think from the outside, I, I'm willing to say that those are um, legitimate interviews and not, you know, a, a token interview and that um, that they abide by the Rooney Rule and the Rooney Rule's, um, you know, doing its job in the process. I think you, you have to just look at, you know, whether or not the Rooney Rule is being, um, you know, the, the spirit of it is being followed. Um, I think you have to look at the results, and the results are really bleak for um, diversity, especially um, African-American coaches in the NFL right now. So, Adam, for people that didn't get a chance to read your outstanding story at the Washington Post, and we encourage them to do so, can you sort of summarize where the Rooney rule is right now and what you think the issues are? Sure. Yeah, that, that's really nice of you to say, Ross. I appreciate that. Um, you know, so I, I feel like the, the Rooney rule is, is, is still, you know, it, it's, it's not the, the problem. I mean, it, like, at the end of the day, you know, I mean, look, like the, the re-rule, like there, there are people from the Fritz Pollard Alliance from the NFL who go talk to, like, Congress once a year to get, you know, it, th- th- those people want to know how it works because it's actually viewed as effective, which tells you something about society outside of the NFL and, and you know, the way corporations work, but polar topics started to go on attention. Um, the, the issue is just who's, who's getting the jobs at the end of the day, not, not so much the interview process, you know. Uh, and it, it's a historic problem that is still... Um, you know, certainly is this going as strong as ever. I mean, um, Ron Rivera, in, in the words of um, Rod Graves of the Fritz Pollard Alliance, that was a win for diversity. He, he's um, Latin American, and, uh, you know, those those coaches are certainly underrepresented as well in the NFL. But, you know, you look at the past three hiring cycles, if you include, um, you know, the one that's happened this year, at least part of it, and African-American coaches are just not getting hired um, to be head coaches. And that problem is, is totally tied into... Um, sort of makeup of uh, offensive coaches and, and the people who are in positions, you know, with the co- to coach the quarterback and to call plays and to be offensive coordinators. Um, you know, the NFL has, frankly, and, and NFL teams have, frankly, a, a shameful history of promoting uh, black coaches into positions that put them into position to be head coaches. You know, there, there right now there are two African-American offensive coordinators in the NFL, Eric Bieniemy 
and Byron Lefwich, uh, Byron, Byron Lefwich, sorry, in Tampa. Um, and there were only two African American quarterback coaches uh, as well. And as the league has really shifted heavily um, toward you know offensive coaches and trying to find an offensive mind who can connect with a quarterback, um, one of the offshoots of that, one of the, the issues has been that you know what was already a problem of hiring black coaches to be head coaches is now pretty much a full-blown crisis. Adam Kilgore with us from the Washington Post. Terrific story on the Rooney Rule. Minority coaches in the NFL points out we're at the same level of black coaches as we were in 2003 when the Rooney Rule was instituted. And per your point about offensive coordinators in the game, only five black head coaches in NFL history are Shell, Dennis Green, Jim Caldwell, Hugh Jackson, and Anthony Lynn currently with the Chargers came from an offensive background. You'll find that all in this outstanding piece. So if Eric Bieniemy, Adam, does not get a job, he's the offensive coordinator with the Chiefs this season, and it doesn't feel like he's going to get an opportunity, at least to me. He's getting the interviews. He got the interviews last year, though. If he doesn't mm-hmm. get a job, what does that tell us, and what do you think the biggest problem is? Is it just the lack of quality candidates to choose from, or is there something greater? Yeah, I mean, I think it's something greater. Cause, like, I don't think there's a total lack of, of quality candidates. You know, I mean, they're not as high as number as, like, you know, white guys who are calling plays and being coordinators. But, you know, like, Matt Rule is, is a great coach. Like, I would not never cast aspersions on that hire at all. I mean, his, his results speak for themselves. But, like, where is the NFL interest if, if like, you know, Kingsbury is getting interest? Like, what about, um, you know, a, a creative choice like Tony Scott, the coordinator comes who all he has to win the national championship every year, calling plays? What about... Um, you know, Dino Babers at Syracuse. He, he comes in with Syracuse's roster. Uh, coached um, uh, Jimmy Garoppolo in college. You know, he's like a sort of a very, you know, innovative guy with RPOs and arrays and all that. But where is their even sort of like rumored interest, you know? Um, and I think at the end of the day, it comes, goes back to, um, you know, the guys hiring the job. I mean, it is a league issue, but it comes down to, um, the teams themselves, you know, at the end of the day, all the owners, um, except for Shot Khan, are white. Um, all the GMs, except for Chris Greer, are white. Um, and you end up sort of hiring who you know, and, um, you know, it just, you, it's not, not trying to break any sociological news here, but like, you know, that's just, if you're, if you're a white, rich man, you probably, um, are, uh, you know, conditioned to, you know, choose the white guy, whether that's, uh, I don't think it's like overt racism. It's just, um, you know, sort of a, a systemic issue that um, you have to sort of like work, consciously work beyond, and I don't think that's that's happening. Um, you know, and with, with the enemy, you know, the, Tony Dungy told me a story that I think is really um, resonant uh, when, when he was talking about Eric and his chances. You know, he, he, he went back to like the, the Packers, of the early 90s and then mid-90s when Mike Holmgren was having success and, you know, his staff became a real factory of head coaches. You had Mariochi, you coached there, took a year at Cal, ended up being the head coach at uh, San Francisco. You had uh, Andy Reid came out of there. He was a very high-profile coach, wasn't a coordinator, but, you know, was, was a top offensive assistant for Mike, um, got a job at, at Philadelphia. Up next in that sort of pipeline was Sherman Lewis. Um, he was a coordinator, didn't call plays, he was black, and never got a head coaching job. Um, despite interviewing a whole lot of places. And that was what Tony was relating to Eric, was saying that, yeah, I think he's got a chance to be a head coach. He seems to be a hot name. Um, but 
you know, this has happened before. And the excuse when Sherman Lewis wasn't hired was, well, he didn't call plays. Like, well, you know, you know uh, Mike Holmberg was calling the plays and Mary Uchi was there. He was calling the plays when, um, um, try to get, uh, you know, when, when, when both of the coaches were there. It's the same thing in Kansas City. People, people want to say that, you know, use the excuse or the reason that, um, well, you know, Eric Bieme isn't calling plays in Kansas City. Well, neither was Doug Peterson. And for a lot of his time there, neither was Matt Nagy. They've had great success. Those were great hires. And the, the next person in line is Eric Bieniemy. If you want, like, a proven sort of, like, formula for a head coach in the NFL, the guy who was under Andy Reid and uh, coached the MVP, Patrick Mahomes, you know, even though Eric doesn't call plays, he's in Mahomes' headset. Um, so he's, a, he's a great candidate. And, you know, at the end of the day, you have to ask yourself, like, what's the difference between Eric Bieniemy and uh, the guys who came before him? Um, it's hard to find an answer to that other than the color of his skin, uh, which is a really rotten uh, thing to be true. But it's hard to it's hard to find a different explanation. Adam, uh, this is great stuff. Uh, one thought I had is I think it was maybe just a couple years ago. I don't know what the the peak number was, but it feels like very recently when you had Hugh Jackson in Cleveland and Marvin Lewis in Cincinnati and Jim Caldwell in Detroit, Steve Wilkes in Arizona, Vance Joseph in Denver. I mean, I don't know what the highest number of minority head coaches was, but it feels like it was as high as it ever was, but that all of those guys I just named lost their jobs in the last couple of years. What was the peak number of minority head coaches in the NFL? Because it feels like it was – Fairly recently, yeah, it was. It was a. It was, I got to like eight. Um, you're right. Not not too long ago in like 2016. But I think what happened is it really is related to um, the sort of like offensive coaching pipeline. You know, that as a league went heavily toward offense. Uh, you know, hiring coordinators. You know, hiring quarterback coaches. Friends of Sean McVay. Um, like all of those positions were filled by white guys. Um, and historically, just like there's been. Um, you know, whether it's a systemic bias, whether it's, you know, a lot of it relates to, you know, a generation or two ago when black players were not getting opportunities to play quarterback, especially as, a, as backups in the league. Um, I think that's, that's really spinning forward. Like, those are, those are the people and players who end up becoming coaches. I mean, like, backup quarterback is, like, the ultimate incubator for being a head coach. I think, like, you know, seven or eight coaches right now in the NFL were, were backup quarterbacks. And, you know, Doug Pearson was a, was a great backup quarterback. He's a good example. Anyway. So I think like that is not the whole reason, but it's definitely a sort of interesting factor. Um, that so again, to answer your point about where have all the black head coaches were going, most of those, if not all of them, um, aside from Hugh and Anthony Lynn, they were all coming from the defensive side of the ball. As it's become now invoked to hire offensive coaches, yeah. um, like you know the, the the candidates who are minorities uh, aren't there. And and, and to, to, to your point too. I think it's really telling about who gets second chances. Um, the only time in NFL history when a franchise fired, uh, or sorry, when a franchise lost a minority head coach and then hired a, head, a minority head coach to replace him was when the Colts went from Tony Dungy to Jim Caldwell. And Dungy retired, Caldwell was the OC, they, they moved him up. And, um, you know, so it, 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 that to me, really does feel like, you know, a lot of these franchises 
whether it's consciously or not, think, okay, we checked that box. We have our head coach. Now let's move on to something else. And they're not keeping yeah. open mind and trying to find mm-hmm. the best, the, the very best guy, regardless of uh, skin color. Hopefully what can change this process is the fact that right now, arguably the three best quarterbacks in the game are black, Russell Wilson, Patrick Mahomes, and Deshaun Watson. You've got Jameis Winston, Kyler Murray, Dak Prescott. So maybe uh, everything begins to change. But you bring up Jim Caldwell, as did Ross, I think, which is an interesting case. In Detroit, Caldwell posted three winning seasons, led the Lions to their first 11-win season since 91, twice made the playoffs. He was dismissed after going 36-28. and 28. Matt Patricia is being retained 9-19-1. Look, we're, we're tiptoeing around the word. Is there racism in the system? Why would Pat, Matt Patricia get opportunities Jim Caldwell didn't get when he far outproduced him. Yeah, I do think there's there's racism in the system. I don't think it's like overt racism, but I think it's the kind of self racism that infects, you know, pretty much every corner of American life. Um, and to think that the NFL would be immune from it, um, you'd be you'd be wrong. Despite some some efforts on the part of really hardworking good people to uh, overcome that, um, again, it goes back to at the end of the day, like you know, there's 32 or sorry, 31. Um, Rich white guys who are making almost every hire, and you know, like they're going to decide at the end of the day. And so, you know, as as much work as you want to do, and as much um, you know information you want to put out, I think that the the Jim Caldwell example is perfect. I mean, he's been to a Super Bowl. Um, he made the playoffs to Detroit, which is like a miracle. Um, uh, you know, and he coached Peyton Manning. Like, there's there's so many reasons that things that make him a good coach. Like, he did, he took a year off after getting fired, and now he's a He's, a, he's on staff in Miami, but like, why would you know? And I'm, this is not like a knock on Mike McCarthy, but like, if you're gonna, if you're gonna, if, if Mike McCarthy is like a really hot candidate, like, what is the as far as like their results? And you know, like Ross, you 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 know more about football and you know people in the league and what they think about certain reputations and styles and all that. But like, just based on like results um, broadly, like, why is Jim Caldwell not a, not getting you know a, five interviews in this cycle? Um, you, you know, he, it's just it, it, it's kind of maddening when you when you start talking about it. You kind of go in circles, but you know, at the end of the day, like I said, it comes back to who's doing the hiring. And um, I, I don't, again, I don't think like you know any NFL owner is up in their office thinking like, well, I'm definitely not going to hire a black guy. But I do think that they just there's certain comfort comfort with certain um, people um, that they feel whether that's. Um, I think probably most of it is subconscious, but it's there. Um, and there, there's really no, you can't deny it based on, on the results. Hi, everyone. This is Dave Briggs. Thanks for listening to the Home and Home podcast. Remember, you can watch or listen live every day from 8 to 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time, exclusively on the Radio.com app or on the web at Radio.com slash home. Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. 
Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply.